It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly chance to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End and talk about the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27 East, and also uh, Express Magazine. Uh, with me is my co-host, Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Great panelists again this week. We have Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Hey, how you doing? Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And Brian Cosgrove, the host of the Mighty Mighty Afternoon Ramble right here on WLIWFM. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Good to have you. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on, so we can catch up a little bit. And uh, one of the biggest pieces of news that came out in the last couple of weeks was Assemblyman Fred Thiel announcing that he will not seek another term in office. That's after, I believe, 20, something like 28, 29 years in the state assembly, uh, a record for that particular seat for anyone who's represented the East End. And we've had some uh, folks who have been in that seat for long stretches on the East End. Uh, I would say arguably nobody's had the kind of impact on the region that Fred Thiel had. It's uh, a very big deal, and we're starting to see people uh, announcing. Beth, uh, we've got candidates on both sides already who have announced, right? Yes, uh, Southampton Town Councilman Tommy John Scavoni announced this week, and um, the uh, Republican candidate is going to be Stephen Kiley, who's an attorney. He's the Shelter Island Town Attorney, and he um, lives in Mattituck on the North Fork. Mm. He ran for Southampton Town Board last year. It's it's big shoes to fill. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, and it seemed like Tommy John, um, he had announced that he wasn't going to run for re-election to the Southampton Town Board. Uh, a, a little while ago, and it seemed to set up the possibility he might have known this was coming and, and had this this planned all along. Um, let's talk a little bit about Fred Thiel and, and the impact he's had, though. Bill, he's he's been as impactful a state legislator as you're going to have out here. Yeah, absolutely, and he's got a you know a lot of huge uh, things to his credit. Um, I, I think he was he was involved in informing Pine Barrens protection early on. And also, he was the architect of the Community Preservation Fund, which has raised more than $2 billion um, on the East End in the 20-some-odd years that, that's been around. And he's credited as being the architect of that. And he took that idea a step further and, and uh, it just recently helped uh, help shepherd through the Community Housing Fund, which is going to use a similar real estate transfer tax, although you know a lower percentage. Um, to 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 supply money to four out of the five East End towns for um, you know for affordable housing uh, projects and and partnerships um, and, and yeah I mean and those are those are the big ticket items but we had him on a podcast and you know and we and we spoke to him about what he felt um, you know what he felt his biggest accomplishments were and he really focused on constituent services and you know and, and the the things that he's done to help local residents over the last three decades and you know in um in in the assembly so um yeah super super accomplished um and i'll tell the story again i told it i told it on the podcast and i think i mentioned it to 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 brian you know doing paper talk one day and you know when i was uh, a, a a very young new reporter in 1999 i had to write a story and i honestly don't remember what the subject was at this point but it had something to do with, with, with the state, and um, and and I was I was instructed by my editor to call Fred Thiel, and I called Fred, and it must have been very obvious that I had no idea what the heck I was talking about, and no idea what the story was, and and he took at least an hour and a half on the phone to walk me through it until I understood. Um, you know what I was going to be writing about, and 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 not in a in a spinning way, but just in a, in a way to help me understand. And it was something that um, you know for for the last you know however many years twenty twenty five years that I've I've always been super appreciative of, and I've seen him do similar things with other. Uh, new reporters and you know and when you know I became an editor and you know my my first suggestion to to reporters writing stories is call Fred Thiel and he'll he'll explain it to you. 
I would like to also add to his list of accomplishments there. He was instrumental in the quarter percent sales tax, too, for uh, mm. land preservation here um, and in getting the eighth of a percent um, and the amendment, apparently, uh, that hasn't quite happened yet, but the amendment to that through the state legislature, which allows the county to raise money through another eighth percent sales tax to help people uh, install those um, new septic systems and to also install new sewering. And, and you know, Fred, Fred's history in government, I mean, it's, it's his entire adult life. I mean, he was an intern for a state assemblyman when he first got out of law school, I think. And um, and then he was a counsel to, to him. And then he became town attorney. He became town supervisor in Southampton town. He was a county legislator, le legislator for a while. Um, you know, I've known him through all of that. When I was talking with him, I joked with him recently uh, since our both of our heads had brown hair growing on them. You know, <laughs> um, he's he's intelligent. He's he's articulate. He's earnest. Like he's everything. You know, it feels like he's everything you'd want in a public official. And he's been extremely helpful too, even though the town of Riverhead is not in his district. He's been extremely helpful because we've never really had, um, a, well, not I can't say never, but we've hardly ever had um, an assembly, a member of the assembly that was in, in the, a Democratic Party or a caucus with the Democrats as Thiel has done. And now, you know, he's a Democrat. Um, and so we, Riverhead and previously the North Fork until it became part of his district, <laughs> but really like needed him to advance legislation on their, on their behalf, you know. And, and being so, chair of the local governments committee really and, did and a lot of chairs local government. So I don't know. He's just it's always a pleasure to and, you know from a behind the headline standpoint, he as you were saying, Bill, he's always a pleasure to to interview. Um wealth of information and extremely patient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Brian, he's Brian, working I, right now to get the water that yeah, um, absolutely he's gonna he's, bill on the ballot on, it's gonna be a ballot referendum this November if he if he helps yeah. get it through uh, the legislature. So I don't see him coasting into the end of his term this year. He's gonna stay no. active this year. Brian, I you know, going going back to to what these guys have said, Fred Thiel is just part of the conversation for every single issue. He yeah. was the guy that when you were having a substantive conversation about an issue, almost everybody sort of said we need to get Fred Thiel in this conversation because he was the guy who could actually get things done. I mean, we've mm -hmm. seen that time and time again. Yeah, he. Um, I want to join in on the praises for Fred Thiel. Um, first off, you know, he. I, I always felt that he was always open. He, he didn't, like, his mind wasn't made up before he got to whatever the discussion was or the issue was. He was always open to other people, even if it was close to being, a, you know, a decided issue. He, he seemed to me he was an always a very open-minded guy, um, which I admire quite a bit. And am I right to remember, and I've been out here for over 25 years, he started as a Republican, right? And then he, he moved to Independent, and then he moved to Democrat, right? And in between yes. there somewhere, he also started the Southampton Party locally. That's uh, right. When he was town supervisor <laughs> in Southampton, he created a whole new political party called the Southampton Party that's, that was around for a little while uh, at the local level. But, yeah, he's he's made the transition um, right. all, all the way from Republican to Democrat over the years. So that 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 shows you that he's open. He's not you know, he's open to changing and changing his uh, party, which I think is amazing. He's last not time, tribal. <laughs> last no, time he's not. him was a uh, it was a year ago, last October or November, for the service on Shelter Island for uh, Dr. Wally Smith, the head of the radio station, who uh, we lost with great loss. And I got a the you know Fred Thiel looks better as he gets older. What's the deal <laughs> with that guy? Right? I mean, <laughs> how does he do that? I mean, the guy is you know. He just looks better. I mean, when I saw him, I hadn't seen him in, in quite a few years. I'm like, he doesn't look any different. If anything, he looks even better, you know? So just on a superficial level, you know? To your point about Fred not coasting to the end of his career, um, I had a conversation with him recently about, I finally wrote a story about it. Like, you know, he's, he as chair of the local governments committee, um, he's, 
reviewing right now, that committee's reviewing, um, a, they said about a dozen IDA reform bills, because that's a very hot topic and, in Albany. And um, he said that they are working on a package of le legislation for IDA reform, and he intends, you know, that's a priority this legislative session, which um, will be good news to a lot of people in Riverhead and maybe Southhold too, where they recently have uh, gotten very upset about Suffolk County IDA decision regarding that Enclave's uh, hotel. So, you know, he's he's going to keep busy from now till you know midnight on December thirty first. I don't. There's no doubt. <laughs> And his encyclopedic knowledge too is is something that that's valuable. Yeah. To, to, I'm to, curious to see what he does was afterwards too. I don't imagine him just um, walking off into the sunset. I know he and his wife just built a, a house down in um, I think South Carolina, um, but but he says he he wants to stay involved in in the community here, and he's looking maybe at doing some um, you know nonprofit work or or you know something similar to that. So I'm just curious to see what uh, what happens there. Well, Joe, Joe, is he a golfer? You would know. Actually, I don't know that he is a golfer. Okay. All right. Well, I know uh, you are. And I, he's, that's he's that's one thing, one thing he's never talked play. about is golf. He's. I don't think he's – I think he's too busy to play <laughs> yeah. golf. He's got too much going on. Beth, I want to talk about – happy it's reading the law. <laughs> I want to talk about the real-world impact of – in a span of a couple of years, right. losing both Senator Ken Laval and Assemblyman Fred Thiel in Albany, that's collectively something like 70 years of experience representing the East End. And, and we know that in Albany, having that kind of experience and being around and longevity is, is, a, is an asset when, you, when you're in Albany. And, and we're going to start over now. Uh, we, we have... Uh, a new state senator and Anthony Palumbo, we're going to have a new state assemblyman. Uh, I think that's going to be a problem for for the South Fork for a little while. We're not going to be at the forefront of a lot of conversations for a while in Albany. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that's going to be critical for our region. I, I mean, I, I would imagine he's Fred is going to want to nurture whoever takes on that role. And I hope that they're open to to his advice. Uh if they are elected, uh, I uh, I know um, neither neither Tommy John nor Kylie have been involved in government all that long, even on the local level. So uh, they're going to need to really get up to speed on how things work in Albany. We we might not even want to know how the sausages get made up there. That's but true. Sure, That's true. Sure they're, yeah, they're going to suddenly have to become. Uh, the expert on everything. And I, I don't envy whoever gets that seat. Um, and I think we're a long way from even those two candidates. We may see some challengers. You never know. Uh, right. It's fairly early on in 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 the race. But uh, that's going to be just a tough job getting up to speed to try and replace uh, someone like Fred Thiel, who's, who I think is is really an institution out here. So I, I think party party politics may come into play a little bit, too. You know, given given the majority and and uh, Albany, party politics in Albany. Yeah, come on, <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I mean, the assembly district is also very democratic. There's yeah. there's a lot of independence too, but. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, that's a grueling job because of the trip back and forth to Albany. I mean, if you're if you're representing Albany from other parts of the state, it may not be so bad. But but I know that the drive we I know. Bill talked about how much we lean on Fred Thiel for uh, advice and, and insight. And a lot of those phone conversations take place while he's driving back and forth from Albany to here. And, you know, that drive is something I think he's probably done uh, a thousand times, you know, and, and it's more, more it than that in 30 years takes a toll. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a long trip. And so whoever gets that job, uh, too bad there isn't uh, frequent flyer miles for driving, you know, that you can't wrap those up in some way. So uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Uh, we are with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Brian Cosgrove from right here at WLIW. Uh, I want to talk about, so again, we're catching up a little bit on a couple of weeks of news. And one of the bigger stories that came out 
is the uh, Shinnecock Nation has announced plans to build what they're calling a travel plaza off of Sunrise Highway. Uh, and it would cover about 10 acres. The, the, the nation owns about 20, I believe it is, Bill, right? Uh, uh, up in, up on the Westwoods property in, in uh, Hampton Bays. Bigger than that. And it might be might be 30. I think maybe it's 10 of the 30 that they're using. But this would be the 10 that's right off of Sunrise Highway. And one of the interesting questions, Bill, that we've gone over in the last couple of weeks is the, the Shinnecock Nation does not have permission to access that property from Sunrise Highway right now. There wouldn't be an exit ramp to this property as it stands right now. And it seems essential for that property development to work because it would be a tax-free gasoline uh, well, station and, I, and they I, would also have some retail there. I, I don't know that it would be essential. It certainly would would be um, the better option for them. But if you think about, um, you know, the reservation, the Puspatuck reservation in, in uh, Mastic Beach, um, they're not on a highway and you certainly have a lot of cars um, that that travel there to get their gas and and then to shop it at the uh, you know the gas and cannabis shops as well. So I, I think that um, it, it would behoove uh, um, elected officials to to help them work that out because otherwise you're going to have um, you know a lot of traffic on on a very tight Newtown Road um, up in Hampton Bays and people you know circumventing you know going going up through through the local roads to to get to this tax-free gas station because when you're talking about tax-free gas i think people are going to find it you know whether you can get on the highway or not um but the issue with that is is because of i mean the you know from what from our reporting it, it seems that that the state the dot just doesn't respond to um to the nation at all for any kind of discussions about building the on-ramp some of that comes from the previous lawsuit over the um, the monument, the uh, the electronic billboards that um, you know that they erected um, on on both sides of, of the highway there. Um, but it, you know, it, again, it feels like it's more of the same where you know where where the state just kind of um, you know ignores the the Shinnecock or, or doesn't um, you know doesn't want to you know play ball. The Shinnecock, of course, claim that that that's their land. Um, and that if they want to build a, you know, if they want to build those monuments a few years ago, or if they want to put in some kind of on ramp to to sunrise, that that they have the right to do that because they own they own the land un underneath the highway there. I think um, there also was some dispute over how the state got permission to go across Shinnecock land with Sunrise Highway. So they've raised that question as well, that, that there's some dispute about going all the way back to when that happened. You so. mean there was some nefarious agreement with, um, I, I mean, with, there's a with history the Native there. American tribe? No question. There's a history there. And I, I think they, they have. I also have to wonder if the monuments that went up on Sunrise Highway, now that we see this property being developed right there, it does seem like that was sort of a foothold, uh, maybe to to make it easier to justify putting an off ramp right there because it would right it would be right at the monuments. It um, seems. It seems. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. Um, it seems extraordinary to me, and, and I'm somewhat naive and don't know about much about it as you guys do. That New York State would just ignore them. I mean, it just that's like it. It seems childish. Mm -hmm. They would just ignore the, you know, at least just say to them, well, we'll think about it if they're trying to buy time or whatever they're trying to do. But just to completely for New York State to ignore the Shinnecocks on anything, on any political PR, it's, it doesn't seem like a good move. Well, uh, I think Brian Polite told the Southampton Town Board on Thursday um, that it was because of the lawsuit that what the DOC is selling them until the lawsuit is settled. Uh, okay. Gotcha. So I and don't Brian, know Brian, exactly I, I where that stands, but Brian but I feel like that's an excuse, Beth. I, I think they've always yeah. been. Oh yeah, they've always been that way. And you know, and, and to 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 Brian's point, I mean, other other elected officials, other governmental officials have have come out in favor of a gas station. Maybe not necessarily the on ramp part of it, um, but as an as an economic development 
um, proposal. Um, the the gas station has gotten a lot of support on the on the town level and on the state level from you know from Fred Thiel who we were just talking about and um, and and other officials and and um, you would hope that uh, given that and given the the benefit um, you know that this would provide to the tribe that that they could work something out. I would say there's a real friction point here that's coming up and that is with Southampton town. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the roads that would be leading to this. If there isn't an, an, an access from sunrise highway, you're talking about the canal area of Hampton bays and Newtown road, which is not a, a heavily traveled road. That would be your access point for all of the cars to, going to and from. And as you say, Bill, I think people will find this opportunity to get, tax-free gasoline and and to probably to purchase cannabis products, there's going to be lots of traffic. And I th- feel like that location is going to be a real point of friction. First of all, town officials have already, I believe Cindy McNamara has, has spoken up and said that the, the traffic uh, through there would be untenable. But also Hampton Bays has this history, the, the residents of Hampton Bays, they will speak up about something like this and, and they will get animated about it. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that that could be a real point of friction moving forward. Well, and and there's going to have to be, if, if there is that friction, then there's discussion about whether that property is part of the actual Shinnecock territory or whether it's just tribe-owned land. And, and that was um, that's an, an argument that dates back to early, you know, casino talks when they had talked about putting a casino there. Um, you know, the, the, I don't remember the exact history of it, but, but the nation purchased that property, Westwood's property, um, rather than it being part of the original, um, air quotes reservation, because we don't use that term anymore. But, um, I, I think that, that that would give officials some, some leverage in, in deciding what happens there as well. Of course, there's an irony to that because, that was certainly Shinnecock territory right. historically. And, and I think the, the nation did have to buy that property at some point in the distant past, uh, but they consider it territory. I'm not sure the state does. I think that's a point of legal uh, disagreement. It, it if, is. If, Absolutely. If they do get the, the sunrise accent, access, uh, it should be interesting on a Sunday night in summertime, traffic heading West with the, you know, what, what that turns into. It's going to be, it's, you know, there's another part of this that this opens up. We're going to be having an Express Sessions event coming up in Southampton on the 7th. And we're going to be talking about all of the different economic uh, proposals, the economic development proposals that, that Shinnecock has right now. But if this gas station is built, and it's certainly land has been cleared, there's a lot of land that's been moved over there. It looks like it's moving forward. I believe they said they hope to have it open by next year, right, Bill? I think is, right. is the time. Um, if they do develop that property in that manner, the property behind it is up on the bluff in Hampton Bays overlooking Shinnecock Bay. It's a beautiful piece of property, the Westwoods property. And they have already said that they would like to have something akin to a spa, a hotel, a convention center type of a thing up on that property. So if you're able to access the gas station from Sunrise Highway in some fashion, that would also lead to this other property. So it's. I, I think this is all interconnected in a way that's going to be important to keep an eye on moving forward. All of these different economic development pro- proposals have sort of a linkage. Not to mention there will be most likely a cannabis facility, uh, a, a cannabis shop uh, on this property as well. And 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 well, that's, again, that, that you know, the, it's a question of, of what that property is. Is it part of the territory or is it not? Um, you, you could certainly have officials come down on on them, uh, you know, if, if they did try to sell cannabis there. Although I, I don't know that there would be a lot of enforcement uh, af- efforts there. Interesting. Or it, it could and, lead to and, a real interesting. And then you wonder, you know, if they really do start to develop that property, if, if maybe the idea of, um, you know, a, a casino there, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, res- resurrects. I mean, the, the latest talk about a casino was that they would they would do that on the on the um, 
Montauk Highway territory, but if you start developing that land, who knows, you know, what what they would want to do up there. I think, you know, they had originally when when the Shinnecock originally came forward with a plan for a casino, they they wanted they, they obviously wanted some compact to run a casino somewhere else in 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 the state. But the idea of putting a casino there on, on Westwoods was was talked about. Um, but but it seemed at the time that 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 was because that was historical property and and um, it, you know there wasn't a, a huge desire to develop it. But once you start developing it, I, I wonder if if some of that goes out on the wind uh, goes out the window. Yeah, and Beth had mentioned Brian Polite, who's the chairman of the Shinnecock Nation uh, Council of Trustees. I think he would say, you know, I spoke with him recently, and they're definitely downplaying. The, the casino for now, it's not in their immediate plans, he says, because they've got all these other things that they're working on right now. And I think their proposal all along has been to build the hotel on Westwoods and then have a shuttle basically that would run to a casino that would be down on the, the Shinnecock Neck property uh, down right outside Southampton Village. But as you said, all of these things are in flux, I'm sure. And you never know when when that could change. So, I mean, so I mean, speaking if you had an exit off the highway going into a gas station, I mean, that that solves some of the concern, traffic concerns about, um, you know, about a casino on on Montauk Highway. That was some of the big objections there that you would be making the traffic. You know, the traffic is horrible there anyway. During the summer, you'd be making it it worse. But if you've got a, an on ramp and an, an exit ramp off, um, you know, off sunrise onto that property, you know, that could make uh, make things a little easier. Yeah, I'm just absolutely. I'm speculating. There's obviously, you know, nothing to indicate that that's what they're thinking. Um, I want you know be clear about that, but it'd be interesting. It'll make for an interesting conversation on the seventh too. I think when we get a chance to sit down with some of the economic development folks from the nation and do that. So cannabis is part of that conversation. And Denise, uh, there's been a conversation in Riverhead about cannabis lately. It's been a little bit controversial, and, and also. Cannabis remains a controversial topic in Albany in general. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, um, the rules and regulations for, um, you know, to allow people to, to get licenses and then open premises are, you know, have been very slow to roll out. And there's been a lot of people complaining, including the governor, who recently, I think, um, sort of indicated she was considering reconstituting the members of the Cannabis Control Board, I guess, um, or the Office of People Running Office of Cannabis Management, which is a se separate entity. Um, but, you know, they things got stuck for a long time with a, an injunction, a, co a court-issued injunction, um, preventing the, uh, the state from issuing the... Um, the licenses under a special program for people who have, um, they call them justice-involved people, people who have prior convictions, especially um, marijuana-related convictions. This law was aimed at allowing those folks to have, you know, a fresh start and kind of compensate them in a way for um, being uh, prosecuted in some cases, even jailed for things that are now no longer illegal, uh, possession and, and use of, uh, of cannabis. But, they were sort um, of first first in line, right? Yeah. So that so now the state has finally issued its first non just you know non justice involved um, licenses. The first hundred and eight, I think, got uh, issued um, the other day or last week. <laughs> it, it all blends together, but in the last few days, and um, they they have finally also issued um, proposed regulations that they're about to publish in the state register. There's a 60-day comment period after that. If they're adopted, um, it, that will allow people to grow their own uh, marijuana for personal use at their own residences, um, a maximum of uh, 12, 12 plants, six mature and six immature. I'm not even sure what that means, but <laughs> that's the rule. Um, so it's just been very slow. And uh, meanwhile, Back in Riverhead, uh, mm -hmm. Riverhead, Riverhead was one of four towns uh, on Long Island that chose not to opt out of the sale. Um, there was a, an opt out uh, legislation proposed in Riverhead, but it only garnered uh, two votes, the former supervisor and um, 
council member Ken Rothwell. Um, and so then the former supervisor made council member Ken Rothwell chairman of a committee to oversee the development of legislation to um, regulate, as the as towns are allowed to do, to regulate um, the, the locations that, and, and time, place, matter, op, you know, rules for those op, those operations in the town. Um, and they they came up with regulations, uh, really shocking here, that were um, so restrictive that they didn't really allow any any marijuana retail shops or lounges, as they're called, um, to to locate in the town, which is under the state law a no no. <laughs> you can't because make they chose rules. not to opt. They chose not to opt out. They chose so. not to opt out, so you can't right. do it by like the back door kind of. And that the state law says that you can't do that. They will eventually step in, and um, you know, I, I'm not sure what the remedy is, but you know overturn you know take it to court or something or mm -hmm. um i think you know it, the, what they what they do is they um someone that wants to get a license asks the state for uh, like an opinion that it's too restrictive and then that person can then sue um so uh, that's the remedy but they the town has now sought to uh they proposed revised regulations that have eased up some of the restrictions that prevented uh, shops from locating in the town of Riverhead. And they had a public hearing on that the other night. It was sort of eclipsed by some other business that was being discussed. But um, there were a number of people in the cannabis industry, people who, you know, want to want to um, locate shops in Riverhead, people from a coalition advocacy group. And um, they spoke and they said, this is still very restrictive and still needs work. At least one person said, Adopt it anyway, and then, you know, adopt this revision and then go back to the drawing board. Don't just shelve it because it's been months and months since they were, you know, going to have an, a revision. So they don't want to see that happen again. But it's still very much in flux. And um, the town supervisor uh, at the meeting really kind of, uh, he he voted to support the, the, you know, or he voted against the opt-out law. <laughs> so he supported it, uh, it, allowing it in the town. And he said that, you know, he was very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but he expressed his unhappiness with how things have um, have transpired in Riverhead and um, I wanted to see things move along more expeditiously on this. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it's, you know, ongoing, ongoing debate, really. And, and there, there was a lawyer at the at the um, Cannabis Control Board meeting uh, the other day who represents a lot of cannabis licensees, he says, and he told the board that, you know, please do something about Long Island. The zoning rules there are ridiculous. And, you know, we're having trouble opening anywhere. And I've got a bunch of licensees that have already been licensed by the state and have already they've already started paying rent on locations and stuff, but they can't get the towns to move off the dime. There are only two um, cannabis shops uh, on all of Long Island so far, uh, notwithstanding the the Indian properties or the native, you know, the Puspatuck and and Shinnecock, um, that that are not on those on those properties. There are only two. They're both in Farmingdale in the town of Babylon. So he was making a lot of noise about potentially, you know, wanting to sue the towns. So we'll see what happens. What 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 do we think are the real world implications of 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 of, of all of that of of the the slowness? I, I mean, because I, I think you have um, you have law enforcement that has no interest at all in 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 investigating or prosecuting any cannabis sales because it's it's technically legal. Mm -hmm. Do we do we think that? I mean, there's just tremendous more opportunities for black market sales. Um, you know, in 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 the area, I mean, you know, I, I you have uh, cannabis dealers that are are just now, um, you know, selling without impunity, and you have and you have from you know from what we hear, um, you know, shops. I've I've seen Suffolk County's made made arrests. You have shops that are just selling cannabis un unlicensed, and um, and I guess you know, which remains against the law, no matter what the, they do in Albany with this, yeah. But, but you, you, see, you see little prosecution of that, and then, 
you know what, what the end result is the towns and you know and 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 the state lose all that that perspective um uh sales tax revenue i'd say bill i think the clear winners here have been the smoke shops on the shinnecock territory well, absolutely which, and the which as well. very early in the process and and really got a foothold and when you look now when you drive down montauk highway in the mornings or the afternoons every one of those shops is doing a, a very uh brisk amount of business and um, I think even to the point where I think it's interesting, Little Beach Harvest opened the big dispensary uh, back in the latter part of 2023. And I feel like they maybe missed the rush that I think that a lot of people already have their favorite shops. There are, what, half a dozen or more uh, there along Montauk Highway where, where people clearly have developed affinities for. And I, I think the town's completely missed the boat on this, that that. Um, eventually, if they allow some shops or allow some lounges to open up in some parts of town, uh, they're going to be working from a disadvantaged point of view. They're coming into a market that's already pretty well set. Although, I think there's all, also a huge demand, which which I think there'll still be plenty of demand for it. There's there's a lot of interest out there. But you're going to have also, a, you're going to have a less expensive product on on the on the reservations, and I'm assuming the, qual- the quality would be would be just as as good um i mean, I mean you know if they, if they do open some shops in the towns in riverhead and, and southampton i mean maybe there's an opportunity to you know to market it in a in a more upscale way to try to you know draw some some consumers away from the reservations but um you know i i don't know how that would work are they subject also to like to the same um testing and certification of the product though i mean i don't no, I don't believe they are, but yeah. I believe I, I think what the 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 Shinnecock has said they're following state guidelines voluntarily. That they are mm-hmm. they are they are echoing the state guidelines. But it's a great question as far as testing and so I'm not sure the answer to that. I think not to be discounted too is the impact that all of this flux has on the folks who are trying to open these shops, the people that. You know, this law was aimed at sort of assisting, Um, you know, they've had to go through the permitting licensing process, which to listen to them when they speak at this at the hearing has been extremely, you know, a a long trial. Um, And and they've had to go through this whole process, in some cases, having to retain a lawyer, then they have to secure a site once they get a, a license. And a lot of times that means signing a lease and paying rent. There were people at the hearing talking about we've been paying rent on this for three years on this place. Right. So like, you know, and they still can't get into it. Um, some of that is state bureaucracy and some of it is, you know, town bureaucracy. And um, it's just really difficult. And these are not people, I mean, unless they're being backed by companies, and which is also possible, that are big are big players in this field and have a lot of, you know, nice size bankroll. Some of them are uh, being backed in that way, but otherwise they're, you know, they're small companies, people with not a lot of financial means and to secure a commercial premises on Long Island is not without great expense. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a real world implication. This is also the opportunity to take a step back one more time and point out that this is really a social experiment that's that we're, we're doing here with uh, legalizing marijuana in the way that New York State did. And I feel like the negative impacts haven't been so severe. Well, we haven't seen uh, I think there was a lot of concern that when marijuana was legalized, it might lead to a lot of real negative impacts. And I don't think we're seeing a whole lot of that so far, which I think is just reassuring. It's nice to know uh, that that change in law didn't have the kind of big impact that um, I think some folks feared it might. So this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM. And uh, so I want to turn to Sound Avenue in Riverhead, and there's a controversy uh, that's sprung up now about a charter high school that's being proposed. Beth, uh, Denise, who wants to talk about that? Uh, did you hey, sit the hearing, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a hearing, right? 
No, it wasn't a hearing. It wasn't yeah. on the agenda in any way. Um, there was so, an ad in a local paper saying there was a public hearing, which might yeah, be. They, well, I, they, <laughs> we, had, we had an ad, but it didn't say it was a public hearing on our site. I don't know about the local paper, but. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, all right. So my honest behind the headlines assessment of what's going on. Here, <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the superintendent of the charter school announced these plans in on Facebook in a Facebook post in back in November we did a story about it uh when we saw that and um you know he's he's been a very ambitious uh you know build, builder of his educational institution and seems to have done so with a lot of success and getting expansions and great expansions from the board of regents which is what's required uh getting a the, the charter renewed every five years and um, he, uh, building a new school in the, at the Calverton location um, and, you know, outgrowing that when he added middle school and high school grades. Um, and this is uh, Ray Ankrum. He's a superintendent. And then um, renting a renovated former schoolhouse on Sound Avenue. That's kind of a historic uh, building that used to be the Northville school. Um, and he, he, they rented that for a high school, but it's still somewhat small. It's not at a, for a modern high school. There are no, there's no cafeteria. There are no facilities, no gymnasium. So he's been trying to find, like he looked at a lot of different places, and we've spoken to him about this over the years. The State Armory, the Mercy Old Mercy High School campus. Um, talked with the town about maybe EPCAL, um, and it came up short every time. And he uh, the charter school struck an agreement with the owner of this property right ad adjacent to the Harsa High School on Sound Avenue that they're renting, and they want to build a, a new high school there. And you know, hopefully, he says a phase two construction of a middle school there as well. It's now, a Denise, seventy-two. What's, what's the nature of this school? What, what it's a charter school. Um, yeah. Can you explain what that means and? What would be the I'll try. It's it's um it's a New York State authorized charter schools a bunch of years ago, um, and they are private not for profit entities that are um, allowed to form and educate students either generally like Riverhead Charter School or specific to a particular topic like they'll be Charter School of the Arts for example, um, where they focus on that and. Um, the Riverhead Charter School was formed in uh, 2001 by a, a completely different management. There was like an outsourced comp company that they, the charter school board at the time contracted with, and it didn't go well. That company had some issues and um, it, there was it lo they locked horns with the school district immediately. The school district in Riverhead actually sued to prevent it from taking place and citing, being cited in Riverhead because... Um, that school districts generally are pretty uniformly opposed to charter schools. Um, charter schools, you know, say they exist to provide school choice to parents, um, and school districts say they detract from and threaten the public education system because the way they're funded in New York, um, the, sc the school district that sends a child to the charter school has to pay a per child tuition amount that I believe is determined by what it costs that district to educate that child in district, mm. except for they withhold like a 20% administrative fee. They need to provide transportation to the charter school if it's within 15 or 16 miles. Um, and, and, but otherwise they, you know, so Riverhead school district is like in the coming year or this current current school year, is um, going to be paying over $11 million to the Riverhead Charter School in tuition. Mm. Um, about 50% of the charter school students are from the Riverhead School District, um, which, and other, and there are like 18 other school districts, Mr. Ankrum said, that, that, are, that, send, uh, that send students to the Riverhead what, Charter School. What, what's the Riverhead School annual budget and I'm, i don't mean to put you on the spot you don't need to be precise but so oh, yeah. that 11 million is like what what, what uh, i want to say it was like 174 million this year i hope i'm not too far off i should be able to find that quickly but 
um, it's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> it's that. So then, you know, to your point, I think is that you know, it's it's kind of you know a relatively small portion of it, but still eleven you know, million bucks. It's still eleven million dollars, and you know, needless to say, the school district still not happy with the Riverhead Charter School taking students away and taking funding away. But you know, charter schools, their pitches. This is like a private, a publicly funded private school. Parents, right. you can send your kids here, you know, and uh, you know that's so they're they've got conflicting interests, um, and that I believe is actually a very large part of this opposition to the Charter High School on Sound Avenue. There are people who live near there who don't like the idea of the Charter School building um, on Sound Avenue. There's um, it's in the agricultural protection zone, so they would need mm -hmm. a special permit to build a school building there. Um, but um, more than half of the property, like 60 acres out of the 72, is um, actually preserved. They've sold the development rights are sold on it, and um, they can't build anything at all there. It's athletic fields, nothing. You know, they have they can only do what the state ag and markets law allows. <clears throat> It has to be agriculture related, right? So Agrim is talking about using that land for uh, growing, you know, leasing it, renting it to a farmer to grow crops to provide the uh, like a farm to table kind of thing for the families of these students who are uh, marginalized, underserved, et cetera. I'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I, need some, it, I need some water. It, it's interesting stuff. I, I'm surprised always when communities fight a location of a school in the middle of of a of a neighborhood because you would think a school mm -hmm. would be a fairly benign use of a so, site. I mean, I, I well, there's, there's a couple of things going be... on. I mean, I, like I, honestly, you have to question, and I and Ankrum has questioned this publicly whether there's some sort of back like racially based backlash because mm. you know the vast majority of students there are latino and and black students um and it's a very very white area um people you know in the community say it has absolutely nothing to do with it and, and indeed there wasn't this kind of an outcry over that when they moved into the the northville school right um I think there's, you know, the issue of this is farmland. Mm -hmm. It's preserved farmland. It's in an ag district tax program. And, you know, the people who like whose property, whose homes border that 60 acre tract really want nothing to do with, you know, it's now a sod farm and they'd like to see it stay that way. Like I, I, they're afraid of what might happen there in the future. Um, but the teachers union, <laughs> um, really has been, I believe, a driving force in uh, organizing opposition to this. Um, you know, they, um, they've they been very outspoken in, in opposition to this. They don't want to see any expansion of the charter school, and they're going to fight that where, in whatever venue or whatever reason, like, you know, anywhere. <laughs> That's, you know, they are dead set against it. So I think, you know, there was... Um, kind of an anonymous, glossy five by eight card that arrived in people's mailboxes saying, you know, fight this, you know, come to town hall. Um, why, why, would the, was, why would the teachers union be, be opposed to the teachers of the charter school not not unionized? Well, they are now. Yeah, they are actually unionized now. They hadn't they were not originally. And that was another like years ago controversial thing. They are just the River Teachers Union is opposed because of the money that they say because of the money that the charter school draws out of the school Close district the that, school. Could, that we could be spending on you know serving our students in the public education setting. So uh, it's can I take, you know. <laughs> can I take the conversation on a slight tangent here? Um, you have a piece of property there that's agriculturally preserved, and this proposal to develop it now. This is part of the theme. We had a conversation not long ago in another Express Sessions event that was with uh, it was with the real estate community. It was about February and, and the start of the real estate community. And we were taking the pulse of the, the, the real estate market right now. And that 90 minute conversation became monopolized 
by a conversation about affordable housing, which is the running joke is that every one of those becomes about affordable housing because that is the primary topic. But there was also what I would suggest is sort of an exhaustion with the preservation. And, And it was voiced by some of the real estate folks in that room that said, you know, so much money has been spent on preservation over the years and so much land has been preserved that it's time to take another look at that. And, and there was even a suggestion that maybe the CPF go away now because it's done its job and we should be focused more on developing and, and doing affordable housing. I see this propping up now and then. And Denise, I feel like your conversation about your school is another one that people are starting to say, you know, these it's the the, the battle between these, these preserved properties and things that these communities need to do. Well, I mean, also, I just want to be clear that where they're proposing to build anything, where the charter school is proposing to build anything, is not on the property where the development rights are sold. Mm-hmm. It happens to, it's within this agricultural protection zone. It's currently being farmed, so it's got reduced taxes for that because, you know, but it, it construction is allowed on like 12 acres of this. But I see. Li- limited, limited, as of use, as of right uses are limited to kind of like agricultural related uses plus single family, you know, houses. Um, and a school is a specially permitted use on, on that part. Um, you know, I don't, we're not having that same conversation in Riverhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you're, you're having there in the South Fork and another universe. Um, there's still a lot of uh, farmland that needs that, you know, is at risk of, of development. Um, and um, they they're, they're, they don't have the resources and t- from CPF to to do what mm-hmm. needs to be done there. So uh, they're coming up with uh, unique ways that they say are intended to try to preserve farmland, like allowing construction of uh, hotels, resorts, should, should, <laughs> residential I, areas on the south. I should warn you too, Denise, yeah. that one of the real estate folks at this session said the answer to the South Fork's affordable housing problem is Riverhead. Yeah, River, Riverhead yeah, I, is the affordable housing solution. It has been. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah, <laughs> but um, I, I mean, that's why Riverhead this certainly so doesn't have the same. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Riverhead so, doesn't have the same attitude toward development that you know yeah. that people on the South Fork have. Uh, as uh, you know, for better or for worse, I guess I keep my well, mouth shut. I mean, if you if you do preserve farmland, also you need a farmer who wants to farm it, mm-hmm. yeah, and or who can make enough money farming it to make it worth their while, and mm-hmm. you know that's getting increasingly difficult to do. Even if the land is preserved, so yeah, absolutely. These right, same you need like a critical up. mass of farmers, right? The Farm yeah. Bureau has always said that you know, yeah, individual yeah. farms aren't enough. You have to have sort of yeah. a yeah. Great conversation this week, guys, but we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank our panelists, Denise Cibaletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Brian Cosgrove of WLIW. Thank you, guys. Thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton, also of the Express News Group. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, We will be back next week with another edition of Behind Headlines. Thank you, guys.